You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Timothy Armu, CEO of Fanbytes. Timothy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, man. It's great. Yeah. Glad we get to do this. We met in London, gosh, uh, probably a couple of years ago, had you on a panel, and we've been involved in an entrepreneurial community called Founders for quite a while. So it's always great to chat with you, and I'm, I'm excited that we get to dig in a little bit more and hear about your journey today. Yeah. Shout out to Dan from... Uh founders group. <laughs> so your entrepreneurial experience started at a very early age, right? When you were 14, you launched a tutoring company that you grew to over 65 tutors in as little as six weeks. What inspired you to launch that business? Right. So there is the PR answer and then there is the real answer. Um, so the real answer is I was just like this 14 year old kid and, and I basically made a bet with a friend of mine that I wouldn't see um, 500 pounds before I turn 18, which is like a really silly bet. But at 14, when it's like someone says 500 pounds and you have zero, it's like, whoa, you know, this dude said you know, 5 million. So there I went online. I tried to, I remember this, it's like 10 years ago, but I remember this. I went on and I literally searched like how to make money online. And mm. if you ever, if you ever search how to make money online 10 years ago, what comes up is a bunch of random guys and like Lamborghinis, you know, pay me $997 a month and I will teach you the secret to something, something. But I saw this quote about um, work with what you know, and I was pretty good at math. Um, so I decided to tutor people at math, like all pretty much to win this bet because that for me was the key thing. Um, so I did that and that scaled pretty well that kind of tanked because the thing about tutoring is if you are essentially the person connecting the two people, tutoring people really care about like sticking with one person. So what happens is the business model, you actually take away, people just go directly. So that was kind of the end of that. But that taught me that I wanted to learn how to code and stuff. So Basically, like the real answer is it started from a bet. I wanted to make money because I was 14 and I was like, you know, I didn't have any. So had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur or was this kind of the beginning of, of that journey for you? I actually wanted to be a journalist when I first I was born here. By here, I'm talking about in London. But then I went to live in Ghana for 10 years. And then I came back here when I was 10. And my whole time, I really wanted to be a journalist. But the reason why was because I always thought journalism was so cool because you could, you could basically write something and just disseminate it to, you know, a ton of people. And in some bizarre way, I guess like, like business and especially in our type of industry, right? The whole like online media industry, you can create a business, you can create a piece of content or something like that. And then you can just disseminate it across the world. So I guess in some way I'm kind of being a journalist, but in like a really tendential way. But um, no, my whole aim was to be like a journalist. And then I was like, right, I actually am more interested as a kid. I, I'm more interested in like how to make money, how to build an income. And that was it. 
Very good. So speaking of journalism, your next venture was Entrepreneur Express, an online business publication that featured interviews with the likes of Richard Branson, Alan Sugar, James Kahn. Tell us more about that experience. I mean, it, was that kind of your first attempt at, at, at being a journalist? Yeah, so that was my first attempt at basically going, I kind of want to be a journalist, but I also see this business thing as quite cool. So I built that up. It was both an online and offline publication. Um, one thing that I don't actually say a lot um, is I think there's like one random video lurking on YouTube which says this, but um, but basically it, it was online and offline and the offline version was meant to be distributed through universities, right? Because the whole idea was this was for like young people trying to start up their own business. The offline version absolutely tanked because basically at 17, which was when I started this, I just didn't quite take into consideration that I need to sell a lot of like print advertising in order to sustain the publication. So I had thought about it more as like, cool, we'll get this first one out, then we'll get a second one out. I was like, well, actually, how would you pay for the second and the third and the fifth and the sixth with no advertising? So we shut off that offline version, but then the online version, I then became quite good at being able to grow like uh, Facebook pages. So I'd grow these massive Facebook pages around like Gary Vee or Tony Robbins or like inspirational quotes or something like that. And then I'd drive traffic from those pages to my blog um, and I'd basically make money from just like programmatic ads and stuff like that. And you ended up selling Entrepreneur Express, right? That business was acquired? Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that was an 11-month sprint in which I basically got a random email from this company right now. I um, I think they've now changed to just being a bog standard agency, but they were called like iHorizon Media. And they were actually started by these two brothers. And I think they just had a bunch of money. And their whole thing was they were trying to buy a lot of like niche publications so their whole thing was we'll buy a lot of these niche interest blogs and stuff you know stuff around food or gardening and stuff like that and then they'll like roll it into one and then like sell ads on it right this was about seven years ago right so where the programmatic ad game was you know pretty good so they bought it because they were building their business niche so they bought it along with the email addresses the uh, facebook pages and all that stuff. So that was cool, man. I, like, imagine being a 17 year old living in a council estate and someone's like, yeah, so here's some money for some stuff you've been doing for the last 11 months. I was like, man, yeah, take it, mate. That's terrific. And so uh, what did you do after that? What was the, the next experience? Uh, I tried to learn spread betting and that was stupid because I do not know what the hell I was doing there. I still don't <laughs> know what the hell I was doing. Like, literally, because I was talking to a friend and I then he and he said he was making a decent bit of money from spread bread and I was like, oh yeah, let me learn. Absolutely horrible. I, I now realize that I have a zone of competency which does not involve any of this stuff. And so was that traditional gambling or was it um, like sports betting? So it was kind of a combination of both, but it was primarily like sports betting. Um, yeah, didn't quite work. Uh, but then I went to university so i saw that business at 17 and then i took a year out just before i went to university and i started and and then i started uni i did a uh, computer science at um 
Warwick University. And and during your time at uni, you did some uh, some work in the management consulting world, right? First developing yeah. an app through McKinsey's Venture Academy, and then later you interned at BCG. So yeah. what attracted you to management consulting? One of my kind of, I guess, I wouldn't say a regret, but one of the things which I think I would still do after Fanbytes is I would actually go and learn a bunch more about business on someone else's dime. <laughs> and, and actually for McKinsey and uh, BCG, the whole idea was, I was like, well, management consultants basically get paid to solve a bunch of business problems. And they don't, I don't know if there's going to be any of them listen to this, but like, they're not taking the risk of starting a business and like potentially failing. So I'd be interested in that where someone can pay me a lot of money to basically go, this is what you should do with your business. And if it fails, it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, we tried. So, so um, for me, it was just because there was such a clear line on being able to solve a lot of problems on a range of different businesses. And that was the thing that attracted me to management consultant, um, just kind of during the internships. And the people there are like insanely clever, man. Like the people at BCG, McKinsey, Bain, it's like talking to them, it's like, it's so great. But then whilst I was doing my time there, I think at the BCG when I was like, yeah, this is cool. But actually the thrill that comes with building a business, the thrill that comes with, you know, the next deal and stuff like that is actually way better. So at that point, you know, you teamed up with two partners in early 2017 to launch Fanbytes, right? Your current venture, which is an influencer marketing agency that, you know, initially focused on short form content platforms like Snapchat and TikTok. So what yeah. motivated you to start the company? How did you meet your co-founders? So what actually motivated me was kind of linked to the, uh, was kind of linked to the second company, Entrepreneur Express, which really and truly was like my first business because mm -hmm. the first one at 14 is kind of like, who knows what the hell you're doing at 14, right? So with that, basically I realized that I started a blog and I drove traffic through, through the Facebook pages. So I was like, ah, the thing that was of value here was not the blog. And it wasn't really the email addresses. It was the fact that I understood how to grow these pages. But I also like it was the social audiences which were the important thing. And so as a consequence of that, I was like, what if we could scale that? What if rather than just it being about entrepreneurship and stuff, what if we could find people, and in this case, like the influencers, other people who had these large audiences and build a technology which could actually help anyone to, to kind of reach any audience they wanted, right? Food, garden, et cetera. But kind of linked with that and actually a, a far bigger point was at that time I started it, I was 21, 22. And I basically had come at it from, I'm, I'm obviously part of Gen Z, and I still am Gen Z. And it's kind of like, I realized the way brands were marketing to people was just very, very wrong. And I was like, well, if I can take the social side of things, and then I can also put the spin on it of like being, using much more innovative, interesting ways for brands to reach Gen Z, that could be a very interesting business because you build the expertise, but then you layer on top of it, the like social audiences and the influencer audiences. And if you do that, you can really win. 
And as someone who comes from that demographic that these advertisers are trying to reach, right? You grew up on these social platforms. You yeah. understand the culture. Do you feel that that's important? That really maybe the only way to reach Gen Z is for you and, and similar founders to to create those companies? So I don't think it's like the only way, but I do think we have an unusually like a super unusual competitive advantage. Quite recently, we won a really big client where if you put them against us, just say, you know, reach any audience, I'm humble enough to say they would like clean the floor with us because <laughs> um, they have much more legacy. They've been running for like, I, th I think on their thing, they say they're running for like 17 years, which is, you know, 70% of the time that I've been alive. Right. But the brief and the brand was a brand trying to do stuff to reach Gen Z. And we just came at it with just completely radically like different insights. We were talking about some of the things you could do on TikTok or how you could use lenses on Snapchat or how there was this unlike underground community of um, meme pages and fan pages. And they were just going like, yeah, so what we'll do is we'll get some people to create some content and we'll pump it through like Instagram ads. And then we'll get some YouTubers to talk about this. And I was like, really? And it's because if the brief is for that, I think we just had generally and we have generally like just an inherent competitive advantage. That's not to say that you have to be of that audience in order to make it happen. I think you can very easily hire people who get that audience but in that case you have to be flexible enough to go actually you go run the show but you can avoid that by just being part of that audience and as we've kind of touched on fanbytes embrace tiktok early on what about the platform intrigued you so we started activate on tiktok last year and for a while we started off just solely on Snapchat. And the reason why was because our whole thing was we want to be the best place for brands to reach a Gen Z audience. Because right now, you know, Fanbytes started off as just kind of like a business where we can run these influencer campaigns. But right now we've evolved into so much more. Like we have the influence agency, but we also have our talent agency where we exclusively rep like 45 of the biggest social media talent in the UK. We built an e-commerce arm where we build our own products, which we then distribute through social media, or we partner up with brands to like co-create products, but all of them like, with the audience of um, Gen Z in mind. But we started off just on Snap and then we grew onto like YouTube and all that stuff. At the start of last year, we then went our whole quest, our whole reason for being is be the best place for brands to reach a Gen Z audience. And we noticed that with TikTok, that was just increasingly picking up steam. And we also started to get a number of influencers come to us who were from TikTok and saying, hey, can you do stuff with me? Like, are there any campaigns we can do, etc." And when we started to look at the engagement, but more importantly, the type of content you could create on TikTok, like the moment we started seeing the type of content you could create on TikTok, that was when I was like, right, we need to do this more because it's not so much just engagement, like the views is the, the range and the creativity and the fact that TikTok allows almost like anyone the potential to go viral as long as their video is good enough. I think that I was thinking if I'm me, right, like a 24 year old guy 
and I'm just in my house and just through this app, I have the potential to go viral just due to my creativity. Like that's something I'm going to spend a crazy amount of time on. And so when I realized how that was so appealing to a young person, I was like, right, in a big quest to be the people who are insanely good at helping you to reach Gen Z, this is, uh, this is an audience and an app that we're going to focus on. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about how that's changed over time, right? You started with Snapchat. What does influencer marketing look like on Snapchat today? Are creators still active on the platform or have many of them already left for Instagram and TikTok and other platforms? No, they definitely are definitely on, um, on the platform, 100%. Um, they just generally tend to be perhaps less people who are the conventional influencers. So they actually turns out that from an audience perspective, they tend to be like, the pranksters or the comedians. The other thing is purely from an engagement perspective, Snapchat actually massively outperforms Instagram from an engagement and from a conversion perspective, like way more, like 2.5 to one in stuff that we've done, like way more, right? Why do you think that is? Oh, uh, several reasons. One of the things is just like, generally as a platform is less cluttered right so on instagram i go and i can go on the feed or i can go on stories i can go on idtv like there's just like so much stuff i can do on there which makes it um which makes it quite uh quite difficult um to be able to then just like pick a specific thing to focus on whereas on Snapchat is generally, I either message my friends or I go on Discover. Like, it's kind of pretty much that. And it's not like Discover's that cluttered. It's definitely got a bit more, but it's not like insanely cluttered. The other thing is just in general, like Snapchat is still significantly more personal as a platform than anything. So if an influencer or if someone who you trust goes, go check this out and it's just like swipe up, like generally it seems less like a commercial. Um, That's the thing that really stands out to me, right? Instagram, TikTok, these other platforms feel very much like a broadcast platform where it's, I'm a creator, I'm producing this piece of content and pushing it out to my audience. And of course there's engagement, there's ways that you can enjoy the content, interact with, with the creator. But Snapchat feels much more like a messaging service, right? Like yeah. real one communication with a person. And so for that reason, I think that creates that closeness, that um, personal experience that you mentioned. Yeah. And I think my big bet, and I'm currently, you know, like getting into the whole investing game and I've actually put a call out and I've said like, I think the next super big advertising company or that would be a company that can make things like WhatsApp, like influencers work extremely well because if you're talking personal, like that's personal, right? Like your phone and being in group chats, et cetera, that's personal. So yeah, you're right. Like with Snap feels much more like just messaging, texting friends. So because of that, way higher engagement, way higher conversions. And I think you, know, you can say that about WhatsApp soon. Maybe you could actually say that about like Facebook Messenger as well. Like there's so many things that 
It's interesting that you mentioned the idea of these messaging platforms being a great place for influencers because in many other parts of the world, that's already true, right? You think about something like WeChat, probably the world's largest messaging service. You know, it it is a natural platform for influencers. It's the same as true of Line, right? Where that's very popular in like Korea and Japan and and there are influencers that have emerged on the platform as well. It's strange that that same activity has not happened on WhatsApp. Yeah, there's a really interesting uh, podcast I was listening to, which uh, basically they were talking about how, for example, even in places like like um, China, there are so many huge news companies who people subscribe to their news and they're doing hundreds of millions um, per year. But then here, it's like someone says, can you subscribe? It's like, oh, no, I'm just going to find some site that doesn't ask me for a paywall or anything like that. So it is like super interesting to see how different the cultures are. I definitely think there is a play here, man, about like messaging apps being the next wave of you know influencer communication in the West, 100%. How do you evaluate new platforms, right? I mean, it's easy as a user, and obviously in our field, we both need to kind of stay on top of new platforms and the trends, and so we'll experiment with them. But then when it comes to making a business decision of, you know, we're going to focus on offering TikTok as a, as a primary yeah. channel that we run influencer campaigns, or for us as a technology partner, when we have to evaluate, okay, well, how do we add new platforms, right? We'll get requests all the time for like, you know, VK, right, which is the yeah. largest social media platform in Russia and it's equivalent yeah. to Facebook, but you know, that might serve a small segment of the the population versus, you know, do we embrace TikTok? Does it have staying power? And obviously, you know, we kept hearing it over and over again from our customers and from folks we talked to in the market. So that's kind of what we use to evaluate, well, hey, do we add support for these platforms? And we try to be as early to them as we can, right? We were very early to Twitch. We've done a lot of work in the gaming space. You know, similarly rolling out TikTok support recently this year, you know, we've tried to be very early to TikTok. But as a fellow entrepreneur, I'm always curious how people evaluate how do we dive into a new platform and build a business around it? That's a good question. So so I think there are two ways to think about this. So one is perhaps not as useful to your listeners. Hopefully it is. Hopefully it isn't. Uh, But it's like, what do I as a consumer understand? So, for example, I remember we had a ma- like a huge deal. I wouldn't say massive, but it was huge. If there is any distinction between the two, where they came to us and they wanted to target an audience, but the audience was very much on Pinterest, and we said no, uh, just because, just as people of the audience, right? Like our team right now is, I think we are like forty something people now none of them have a Pinterest account, right? So it was like, is this an audience that we actually understand? And it was only then that we then, you know, said, well, this isn't something that we understand, so we're not going to sell it in. So in terms of how we evaluate stuff, I would say there is definitely this idea of like, is this something you inherently understand and have some degree of unfair advantage? Like just by virtue of the people you have, in the company so for example we've only you actually talk about twitch for example like we've actually only recently started supporting twitch and i'm sure people in your audience and probably you are like what the hell 
But it's because like when we started it, we weren't gamers and we weren't really big into gaming. So actually to get into Twitch, we've just hired a team of people. Dan is basically like leading our gaming efforts because he's a gamer. So it does come down to like what audience I think do you just inherently understand? And then secondly is obviously the like market potential and stuff like that. You can place small bets instead of going like, we're now going to do this. Uh, you can place small bets. So that's kind of what we did with TikTok, for example. We placed some small bets. We started to see stuff going and then we just then invested more into it. And now we have both the agency, but then we have signed a lot of big TikTok talent to this talent agency we have. So that's generally the way that I go about it. Audience and then um, placing placing small bets. That makes sense, right? I think it, it's always good to start where you have expertise. And of course, you can uh, supplement that by r- recruiting new team members and educating yeah. yourself about new platforms. But yeah, going with what you know is always the best approach. You know, when it comes to to TikTok, right, as it's it's something where clearly there's interest in the platform, right? It's it's really spoken to young people as this easy way, fun way to create content. And a lot yeah. of people have told me, you know, it, it feels like what Instagram or Snapchat used to feel like. I think at a certain point, these platforms reach a level of scale. They add more features, right? It kind of loses the the cool factor for Gen Z, or it loses kind of the fun element of the type of content that's on the platform. But um, TikTok has become this place where a whole new class of creator has emerged, yeah. right? That people can build an audience, much like Vine in the early days, right? Yeah. You had the, um, these stars appear on Vine, and ultimately, you know, they transitioned to other platforms as well as part of growing their social footprint and, and launching their career. And it's a shame, you know, that that Vine didn't have that level of staying power, but it it was still able to launch these uh, careers of new talent. Yeah, I mean, the Vine thing, you know. I remember reading this super long form article about the demise of Vine and people were talking about this meeting between the heads of Vine and the leading influencers on there, right? So like King Back and Amanda Cerny and all these people and them saying, look, like we, we have billions of views on this. We have so many people on here let's you know let's have some kind of deeper partnership maybe you could pay us to consistently use the platform and vine were like yeah no um and then they left the platform and as a consequence they took the audience with them and people are like well there's no need to be on here it's almost as if at the inception of musically and tiktok the guys went let us do the complete opposite of this so you notice how they like embrace creators a lot they use creators in their ads they embrace them they they tout how great they are and i think that like that there is massive defensibility if everyone can be an influencer and experience being an influencer on your platform you basically will always stay on there what's coming next if you had to make three predictions for the future of the influencer marketing space what would they be so i think three things I think the first thing is that we are going to see way more influencers building IP just off their brand. And by IP, I'm not talking about just, you know, hey guys, here's a t-shirt or something like that. But I mean, you know, like building brands of their social brand. 
right now it seems like the type of thing which is only for the biggest people so you think about michelle fan or you think about pewdiepie or ksi for example but i think there's a massive opportunity because i think now being an influencer is almost like it's so much more of a status quo right now that you can just easily build a career of it and people would be like yeah that's completely fine right for example with us you know we have a talent business bite-sized talent and in there people are creating their own podcasts and driving you know like hundreds of thousands of listeners to it people are starting their own shoe lines people are you know thinking about their own books like people are starting their own online courses where they teach people one of our talent is like the biggest mermaid in europe (laughs) on social media and she's she's bringing out a course about how to become a mermaid right so people are really building like this ip of their brand i think that's going to be huge much bigger than even the whole brand and influencer space the second thing i think that is super interesting is so many people have written about you know youtube dying and all that stuff it will just all end up on YouTube. Like, like, as in, because they have such strong inbuilt monetization, even the TikTokers we work with, even the TikTokers we have, they all seem to be wanting to build a YouTube channel, wanting to benefit from the long form content and everything else. So that's not so much a prediction. It's more that everyone's kind of going is youtube going away or you know now the creators are having issues with etc but because they have the stay in power of you know like uh the youtube partner program i think all of them would want to go back there and i think the third thing is actually think about influencers especially as like a new form of media and almost like walking talking tv shows um almost then i don't see why you can't have your people paying subscription per month in the same way they do for their other forms of media just to access um, a bunch of content from these influencers and i do think that that will become quite normal in some weird way some very bizarre way uh we have seen this with um only fans they are absolutely killing it but basically what you find is say on instagram you know all these like uh what i guess people call like instagram babes so these these people who model for like fashion over and you know that they've got their own bathing suits and just just like stuff like that what they do is there's a site called only fans where people can basically pay to watch to basically watch like behind the scenes videos and stuff pretty much like it has become very synonymous with racy content right like um with people basically using it as like pay-per-view porn almost um and i was reading about it and i was just like man like these guys are printing cash because a lot of people are you know desperate to see that content But I think there's a massive opportunity for less of that type of content and more actually just like 
traditional influencers, maybe fitness instructors, obviously are doing this, but like DIYers, things like that, where they are building subscription businesses and it's kind of the norm. So those are kind of like my three key predictions that I think. What are the biggest challenges facing your business and the overall influencer marketing space at the moment? Biggest challenge is to consistently stay relevant. So for example, we have just launched, uh, and obviously in the US, this is quite well known, but we have, uh, so in the US, there's a whole um, hype house thing. About four weeks ago, we launched the Bite House, um, which is like six of the biggest TikTokers living under one roof, and we call them the Bite Squad. It's been insane. The reception has been insane. Like literally everywhere, like BBC, Sky, ITV, The Guardian, like literally every single publication has just been um, taking it. That there is a way in which we show we are constantly innovating. I think for us as a business, like the moment you stand still is the moment you kind of die. Personally, as a business, you just constantly have to be innovating and that sounds like a very like soft answer and often, and if I'd heard someone give this answer, I'd be like, you know, cut the crap. <laughs> but actually it, it it is one of those things where because the value you're bringing to the marketplace is, is in like the IP and the content and the services, you have to constantly be trying to one-up yourself. For the industry as a whole, especially if you consider it to be like just the general influencer industry, I think that, the businesses which were built of connecting brands to influencers, I think like 70% of them are probably going to die. And it's funny because actually in the last two months, I've heard about four businesses who basically have died um, hmm. doing this exact same thing. And these were what, influencer agencies or? These were influencer agencies, influencer yeah. marketplaces, etc. Sure. Yeah, of course. And the reason why is, is it's uber simple, right? Like it's it's... It's like uber simple, right? The time for businesses like that, who essentially were what I call glorified Excel spreadsheets, the time for that was, you know, maybe five years ago when it was like the thing that was of value was being able to find influencers. Mm. Right now, you or I could start an influence agency in the next three days. All we need to do is go find, like go on Upwork, go on Fiverr, find a VA, pay them four dollars an hour and say find me a list of x amount of influencers and then also get an email list of hundreds of like hundreds of these type of brands and email them and say we can help you do this and do it for much cheaper than the next person boom suddenly i have an influencer company and it's like the value of that is now so low that if that's all you're bringing to the table then you lose so it's why for example like as a business, we talk about, A, the fact that we are like a Gen Z company. So sure, we have an agency which services brands and influencers, but actually we also have built our own technology, which helps you to get super detailed data and everything that you are running. We've built a lot of uh, data with basically tells you what are the best pieces of content to post what's the best time to post so suddenly it's not just an excel spreadsheet or anything like that it's actually you guys have the expertise and the services and then when you add the fact that we have built a talent business and then we have this e-commerce line 
where we are helping brands to like co-create products suddenly it's like right so they have the technology they have the expertise they have the services and they have the ip and the talent as well suddenly that's a much more like valuable business instead of being a business which is just a middleman business so i think that's a massive thing like and i think we are going to see a ton more companies die like so much more that it will get to a stage where i'm sure there'll be a super big article in like the new york times talking about you know like the death of influencer companies yeah well that's natural right with any new new space right it's there's a gold rush effect where people want to try and make their fortune in this hot new space and there are yeah. going to be some that execute well and some that execute poorly it's just kind of what happens i think a lot of that's being exacerbated right now by the coronavirus situation right the the economic uncertainty that has come with it obviously it's made it harder for some influencer agencies to operate because brands have pulled back. They're not running as many campaigns. So if you didn't have a strong foundation, there are certainly there's going to be consolidation. There's going to be you know companies that just don't make it if we end up in a in a sustained recession period. So you know, speaking of the fact that, like you said, the most important way to ensure your long term survival is to continually innovate. What does the future hold for Fanbytes? So I think for us, it is like leading on our march to be in the best place for brands to read gen z right so if you unpack that there are a bunch of things in there right so in our three years so far we now currently work with you know like pretty much all the biggest brands you think of we're talking samsung like the uk government um mcdonald's etc but that's like the first in it I think about it in three different pillars. I think about first one is in doing more stuff where we own and operate the outcome. So for example, starting this bite squad thing is really cool because it's um, six of the biggest TikTok stars in the UK. In all, they have 16 million fans. In our first week, we had over 15 million views. Actually, we posted a video three days ago in which one of our influence, um, basically in the house, there are these two girls who used to be a couple. And then they posted this video on YouTube, which is why we broke up. And it was the fifth trending video on YouTube. And I was like, what the hell? Like people care that much. But I think the owned and operated space, like when you own the channel, then you own the IP. That's something which I'm really, really interested in. Because again, it goes back to my idea of like owning the full stack of marketing. The second thing is e-commerce. I think that running a B2B business is great and stuff. But if you're dependent on just like ad revenue and campaign revenue, I think that you know, just as a business, you get a bit less valuable. So we've just launched like a lip gloss line called um, Gloss Twins, which basically... Um, We've partnered up with these twins on TikTok who have, I think, like 1.4 million fans or something like that. And there's these twins and they they brought our lip gloss line, which is then going to be pushed out through TikTok, like the first ever beauty line started by, you know, TikTok stars. So that to me is like super interesting. I said three, but actually just like those two, I think, owned and operated and e-commerce where you're able to sell direct to the consumer given all the insights that we've learned um, in running campaigns for brands those two i think are something which i'm like massively massively over indexing on e-commerce and owned and operated 
Very cool. Timothy, if you were starting a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? So I have two. Um, one is this whole idea of like, can you build econ brands which at their heart have to do with like pop culture, meme culture, that type of thing. I still think that the way to do it is to, you know, like things like what fuck Jerry have been able to do where they built out their own, like, what do you meme as a game? I find that super interesting, right? Cause you basically are taking things which people are already interested in and just commercializing it. I find that super interesting business. And the second one is actually kind of something which I touched on, which is, I think that there's going to be almost like this Netflix, I don't know if this is a word, but the Netflixerization of, um, of just content in general. Like, is there maybe you could buy some kind of subscription and what you could do is like super niche interests. You could build almost this portfolio of, titles led by experts of like super niche interest so i know masterclass for example are doing this exceptionally well with you know learn chess from like the best chess player ever or something like that but i reckon if i at one point could just buy a subscription to a site in which like the key experts told me about how they do something but it doesn't have to be as high level as chess or like negotiation but i could buy a subscription which tells me about how uh you know a bunch of diyers like tell me how to come up with the best minimalist room but under that same subscription i can then go and watch a, a gardening youtuber also tell me about like how to have the best gardening but it's done in such a high quality way i think there's a business in there Anything around the passion economy obviously has legs, right? There's a, a lot of um, creator-driven businesses happening today, obviously a big move towards subscription models and giving people content that's educational or entertaining and informative. There's a lot of opportunity there. So certainly agree. Timothy, where can people find out more about you and more about Fanbytes? Uh, about me, just LinkedIn is probably the easiest. Um, just my name, Timothy Amu, is there. You'll be seeing a bunch of videos because it feels like with lockdown, I just shoot videos and then I get people to edit them and then post it. And then in terms of fanbytes, yeah, man, just uh, just fanbytes.com. If you, if you want to understand how to crack the Gen Z mindset, we are here for you. Amazing. Well, Timothy, thank you so much. This has been awesome to hear a little bit more about, you know, how do we successfully market to Gen Z? Uh, what's happening on these kind of emerging platforms like TikTok and then some of the other kind of key platforms for Gen Zers like Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, and just awesome to hear about your entrepreneurial journey. So thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you, man. This is super cool. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.